and welcome to Global Dialogue Plus from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. I'm Patrick Ryan. Today we have a terrific uh, program talking with Carla Power, a journalist and author. Uh, she has written for Time, Newsweek, Vogue, Glamour, the New York Times Magazine on Foreign Policy. Her work has earned her an Overseas Press Club Award and a Women in Media Award. Carla's last book, If the Oceans Were Ink, An Unlikely Friendship and a Journey to the Heart of the, the Quran, was a Pulitzer Prize finalist. And her new book is Home, Land, Security, De-Radicalization and the Journey Back from Extremism. Now, welcome, uh, Carla Power, to the Tennessee World Affairs Council, Global Dialogue Plus. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I'll mention that uh, Carla is uh, at home in Brighton in uh, Britain, so we appreciate her at a later hour of the day joining us uh, to talk about uh, her book, her latest book, Home, Comma, Land, and Security. And we are uh, featuring this as a what in the world quiz monthly prize. So if you don't uh, take our quiz, please do, and you'll have a chance to win uh, Carla's book. But Carla, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, your journey into uh, an examination of radicalism and the sources of, uh, of radicalism. And, and you talk in your book about uh, the, the panoply of uh, societies where this is an issue, uh, not just Islamist uh, violence and extremism and militancy, but in Germany and the United States and, and the phenomenon, the rise of radicalism that we're seeing. But in the interest of time today, let's just uh, peel back the onion a little bit on, on your views uh, in both of your books, uh, understanding Islam and, and the West and uh, radicalism. Yeah, give us uh, uh, the overview of, of what you found. Yeah, well, I, I started off wanting to sort of chip away at the idea that, you know, terrorists are all monsters, that they are all be, because they are often behind acts that are um, violent and monstrous, that, that the people who go into this are, are monsters. Um, because that seems to me to be a, kind of a non-starter in terms of understanding why um, militancy seems to be going up. I mean, um, since I think 2003, there were there were thirty five in in two thousand three two thousand four there were like thirty five thousand um, Islamist militants um, around the world. Um, you know, fifteen years later, despite all our best efforts, um, there were three times that number. Um, deaths from terrorism over that same period, ex, you know, exploded nine times. So what I wanted to see was who are these people who are who are joining these groups. And can they be reformed? Can we think about this as something other than trying to lock them up at home or um, bomb them overseas? Um, and it, it seemed to me really important to dig down into why, um, say, a young man from Birmingham would run off and answer he was effectively groomed um, and uh, wanted to help Syrian children and went off and found himself um, fighting for the Islamic State and, and ultimately dying for it. Um, there, I found out that there were as almost as many different stories um, for reasons for people to go in as there are people um, joining these groups. A lot of them um, want something to do, to belong, 
to a lot of them in, in some European countries feel really excluded from mainstream culture. They feel that prejudice is keeping them from getting ahead. So the idea of say a caliphate where everyone will be Muslim and they will all supposedly live in peace and build something new, just like, you know, just like it was in the prophet's day, this golden age, that can sound very, very attractive if you're a guy in the suburbs of Paris or Brussels who the minute you send in your CV, is, it's, it's tossed in the corner because it's got an Arab name on it. Um, and then there are other people who are looking for adventure, you know, who are bored with their humdrum lives. And, you know, the Islamic State, as an anthropologist, uh, I quote in the book, says was very much an equal opportunities uh, thing. Is they they that their propaganda was sort of like, give me your tired, your huddled masses. You know, if you have a criminal past that, you know, we can use you. This is, and this is Scott Atra and not me um, saying this, but you know, if, if you, um, if you're good with a firearm, we can use you. You want to study for medical school? Come on out. We'll give you free, you know, um, and so on. Um, there was one family that I followed in Indonesia where a 16 year old girl um, managed to convince uh, along with her uncle, 36 members of her extended family to go. And as I, as I heard more and more of this story, and these were wealthy, wealthy people, her dad was a top civil servant, and every family member had this different reason for going. Um, from now medical- these, these, these were recruits to Islamic- uh, The Islamic, Islamic State. In, in fighting in Iraq and Syria. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there, you know, there was an auntie who wanted um, care for her son. There was an uncle who who wanted business prospects. So I think this idea that these are all mad bombers um, is is wrong, and we need to break it down. If we're ever going to really tackle this problem, we need to break it down and see the components that are drawing people into it. So uh, I'm going to uh, tell people where they can get a, a more complete description of uh, this conversation at, at the end. But uh, in the remaining uh, minute or two, uh, give us just a, a brief snapshot of the radicalization that you've seen in some societies. Um, there, there, I, in, in Germany and Denmark, um, both of which seem to have really, really robust de-radicalization programs, there is huge amounts of funding, a long-term commitment um, I, I met a policeman in uh, the city of Aarhus, whose program has been derided and complimented as the Hug a Terrorist program, where people coming back from the Islamic State would be helped by, by this police unit to find jobs, to find apartments, to find psychologists, and, and, um, and to, to basically move them back into mainstream. But there is the money there and the commitment there so that they'll be working with people for six or seven years. And so that, that kind of commitment is, is one thing that, you know, we want short-term, our short-termism is, is, doesn't work with this as far as I can tell. And that, that, that's the truth, you know, whether I talk to de-radicalizers in Pakistan or in Indonesia or, or in, in Denmark. Um, and you know there are other there there are all sorts of other approaches. Um, I, I often say a de-radicalization program 
is very much a sort of like a mirror of the society that produces it. Um, you know, you've got you've got everything from um, civics classes in in Minnesota to um, you know a Pakistani boarding school where there's cricket and um, and and um, art classes. So um, there's a whole range of ways, but I think the most important thing is a commitment to a long term and a, a, not a an, a neat and easy process, but one sure. that is multi-pronged and um and you'll stay the distance with them well thank you carla for that and uh, this is just a, a, a brief taste of the conversation that uh, i had with carla for the world affairs councils of america cover to cover program where we talked about uh, both of her books and you can find that uh, podcast and recording uh on the world affairs councils with an s.org website Again, we've been talking with uh, Carla Power, author of Home, comma, Land, comma, Security, and the, uh, the uh, subtitle is uh, Deradicalization and the Journey Back from Extremism. Carla, thank you so much for being with us at the Tennessee World Affairs Council Global Dialogue Plus episode. Such pleasure. Thanks for having me. And everybody, have a great day. Thank you very much for joining us.